Welcome to the current federal tax developments for the week of September the 19th, 2022. Current federal tax developments are brought to you by Kaplan Financial Education and by your State Society of CPAs. I'm Ed Zollers, sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona this afternoon. We're going to talk to you about what's gone on this week in the area of federal taxes. And this week's relatively quiet again. This is the time of year that not a whole lot seems to happen. Probably doubly so when we're talking about just before an election. There's an idea of if you're an agency, you prefer to stay out of the election process if you can, to the extent possible. So we see a few fewer things happen unless we get a court case or Congress for some reason feels like they have to pass something. We already had the Inflation Reduction Act. Maybe we're going to get the follow-up to secure, but I don't know if either party thinks that's something they need to pass before the election. We'll see how that works. What we do have this week, though, is a memorandum was published this week, a legal memorandum internally from the IRS to actually the person who appears to be in charge of fraud for the uh, council's office, fraud cases, that deals with a question of what happens if the IRS discovers somebody got a Paycheck Protection Program loan, the IRS, in doing the exam, discovers that, in fact, they should not have gotten forgiveness, but the bank gave them the forgiveness and the SBA did not object so far to it. And we'll talk about how the IRS will argue that this represents taxable income at that point because it doesn't qualify under the provision of the CARES Act that would exclude it from income. So we'll discuss how that works. We're also going to discuss the AICPA added on to a letter we discussed that was issued on August the 30th they added on a little bit later a longer list of items that they would like to see changed. In IRS Notice 2022-36, that granted late filing penalty relief, again, more COVID-related relief. So this is kind of, I guess, a return to COVID uh, you know, tax issues podcast. So we'll deal with it that way today. Let's start, though, first with that memorandum, which is Chief Counsel Advice, 2022-37010. This was issued on September 16th. That was when it was published. Like all IRS memorandums and the like, it first goes through potentials for redaction and potentials for uh, any other things where the IRS believes there's some things to be pulled out. So it always takes a while to get this out. But this memorandum looked at the taxable status. If the IRS discovers that a taxpayer got a Paycheck Protection Program loan and the bank gave them forgiveness, let's say the IRS, we discover this, the SBA did not object to the forgiveness, but now the IRS arrives on the scene and the IRS discovers that, in fact, these taxpayers should not have qualified for forgiveness under the Paycheck Protection Program loan, the funds were not used for business purposes, you know, various other things for whatever reason, or they shouldn't have qualified for the loan to begin with. Uh, a little more likely there in the second draw PPP loans because you had to meet certain criteria there. In the first draw, it's kind of tough to argue the criteria. But assuming that the IRS determines that this person should never have gotten forgiveness, but they have forgiveness, the question becomes, well, where do we stand at this point from the tax standpoint? You know, how does the tax in this issue get played out? And the IRS in this memorandum discusses the provisions under the CARES Act and the provisions that we had in the 
successors to the CARES Act. Remember that we had a couple of, of items there, especially the end of 2020 uh, passage and then the ARPA that had some modifications made to the PPP loan program. So under all of those, the IRS may determine that the taxpayer did not actually have what they're going to refer to as qualifying forgiveness. And the IRS will point out that you had to have qualifying forgiveness under the language found in the CARES Act in order for the forgiveness of your PPP loan not to be considered taxable income. The IRS has decided that apparently the agency can look into whether or not you had qualifying forgiveness. In essence, they're determining that that's something they can rule on, even if the SBA has not yet stepped in to pull back and say, no, guys, you're not, you're not forgiven this loan. Rather, you have to pay it back. No, the IRS is saying, you guys, apparently, the bank, the SBA says, you don't have to pay the loan back. Well, if you can't show us that you qualified for that forgiveness, despite the fact that it was given to you, then we're going to argue that, in fact, this is a taxable transaction. The issue is the exclusion is limited to qualifying forgiveness. And Harris says otherwise, this would clearly be taxable income. And interestingly enough, they actually go in the analysis and argue that this comes under the claim of right theory. And the reason for that is because you might think, well, wait, if I have to pay it back, when I borrow money from the bank, and the memorandum concedes this, you borrow money from the bank, that's not considered an accession to wealth, and that is the term that's used here. And actually, it's a term that's used a lot when we talk about debt, debt and taxability for forgiveness of debt. We're looking at this concept of accession to wealth. That becomes a driving force. And remember years ago, teaching the course on debt-related tax issues following the real estate implosion back about 2008. So following all of that, we had discussions about what was accession to wealth, in what cases, and who, if there are multiple parties who were liable on a debt and the debt was forgiven, who had the actual income. And this all gets around this theory of who had accession to wealth. And we agree that nobody had accession to wealth, which is technically what makes something into income under Code Section 61, when you borrow money from the bank. If I go down to Bank of America and I get a, let's say, $40,000 loan to purchase a piece of equipment, that's not an accession to wealth. Yes, I got a $40,000 piece of equipment. And so therefore, you know, that, that means I have more assets than I had before. That's true but I have an offsetting liability to pay it back to the bank. However, under the claim of right, if you apparently have, at least initially, you know, complete discretion over the funds. So you have complete discretion and use and no, uh, no automatic requirement to pay back, even though you might have to pay the funds back, in essence, you might have to pay the funds back if certain events take place in the future. Until that demand is actually made and we adjudicate that issue, you have income under the concept of the claim of right. The claim of right will make it taxable despite the fact that arguably, if you didn't qualify for forgiveness, then in theory, you owe the money back. The IRS says, well, you only owe the money back if the SBA and the, you know, the SBA comes back in and says, hey, Joe, you actually didn't qualify because we discovered you didn't actually have 
you know, you didn't have a qualifying business, you faked a bunch of employees, whatever you might have done, right? We, we discovered this issue. So they're saying, yeah, well, until the SBA comes in, that is just a possible repayment. And there is a statute, as I recall, a five-year statute in which they can come after you for that repayment. But if they don't do so, you'll get to keep it. So we're going to have you pay tax until such time as you actually do make the repayment. Such time as, in fact, the SBA comes back in, says, hey, guys, that forgiveness, we're withdrawing it. You need to pay this loan back. Then and only then will you have a potential for a loss. And the actual a footnote in the actual memorandum does discuss this issue of theories under which you might have a loss under 162 or you might have a loss under 165, depending upon the facts and circumstances. Now, I suspect part of the reason the IRS says that is because they're also wondering about, you know, whether or not this should be counted as a, you know, it could be an embezzlement, an embezzlement situation, in which case then repayment would not be allowed as a deduction. There are various facts that could apply. What I found interesting in the footnote, and maybe it's just the IRS didn't think this was an issue to discuss because it didn't really matter in this footnote. Uh, but the IRS was, you know, didn't raise the whole issue under 13, section 1341 of being able to use the claim of right tax credit for the possibility. Now, if you're not aware of that, if you have a repayment under a claim of right, it's more than $3,000. I'm going to assume that most PPP loans were more than $3,000. There actually were some that were that small. But generally, if it's more than $3,000, rather than having to treat it as a deduction on repayment, you are allowed to go back and recompute your tax for the year you had to pick it up in income and take a tax credit for the amount of extra tax you paid in that year. You get that credit in the year in which you actually repay it. Now, of course, that only really works if you have enough income in the year you repay it. So the tax is high enough to absorb that credit because this credit doesn't go forward or back. So it's a trade-off and states, states, most states don't seem to recognize that option. Uh, but some states do, and so it's a little weird we go down that path. But in any event, it's an interesting discussion. Now, the timing of this is somewhat interesting. We had some reports on tax Twitter from uh, CPA Dan Choden, who discussed, who had a discussion with an IRS agent who'd been through training that the IRS is getting ready to ramp up the ERC, Employee Retention Tax Credit, exams. My guess is if that's actually a program that ends up being fully implemented, this may be a backdoor way to say, you know what, we got a lot more employees in the Small Business Administration. You know, and they're, they're obviously, if you went, when you went through the PP loan, it became obvious the SBA was just overwhelmed with all the things they were asked to do on an agency that doesn't have that many employees. So the idea is, well, we can go ahead and we can start picking this up in addition, because probably if somebody cheated on the employee retention credit, there's a good chance they cheated on the PPP loan program as well. So we might be able to pick up all of this, assess the tax, and potentially identify taxpayers that could be referred over to the SBA. This memorandum doesn't discuss that. It really discusses the tax issue. But it's interesting that the service is looking into this issue, especially given the timing, which does make sense. We had reports 
last year, the IRS was going to start training with the expectation of starting exams on the employee retention credit this year. So it would be about the right timing when this memo was actually asked internally, which is a few months back. It would make some sense that that would go into those programs to say, hey, guess what? We did some test exams here on employee retention credits. We, we discovered some major problems. And we also discovered that these people probably cheated on their PPP loans as well. So, you know, can, can we go back and assess tax on that? IRS position right now is, yeah, we can. And then send them off to the SBA and well, it just might get interesting, shall we say, when all that gets running. Now, the other thing we had happen this week, I said again, it was kind of a quiet week. But the AICPA did send an additional letter uh, requesting relief under Notice 2020-36. This was the AICPA letter in regard to Notice 2022-36 penalty relief for certain taxpayers filing returns for taxable years 2019 and 2020 and requested expansion, modification, and clarification. This came from the AICPA Tax Executive Committee and the letter was dated on September the 8th. So we're going to talk about what did the AICPA do? If you may remember, the August 30th letter asked primarily for the IRS to push back the due date from September 30, which is our current date that you have to have returns filed by to get relief for 2019 and 2020 returns, to push that back to December 31st. And they had a few other requests in that initial document. Now the IRS, now I should say the AICPA is asking for significantly more uh, from the IRS than was in the first letter. They had said in the first letter, uh, you know, we're going to get back to you on some other issues. This is them getting back to the IRS on other issues. But before you get too excited about this, I would point out that we are less than two weeks from the deadline for relief under the original notice 202236. So my guess is, uh, since the IRS has not yet responded to either request, and remember, the National Association of Enrolled Agents also asked for the date to be pushed back, in their case, to November 30th. Since the IRS has not yet responded to any of those items, we have to assume, I would start assuming, there's a real good chance they won't respond to any of them. So because of that, I would suspect that you want to go ahead and start planning with uh, whatever you're going to be doing in this area, get returns out that would qualify and start assuming you're gonna to need to do reasonable cause uh, statements and, re and argue reasonable cause to get out of any of the other penalties. Again, remember, it was like pulling teeth to get the IRS to give this level of relief. As I mentioned on the original letter, we, we discussed back, I believe this was November of 2020, in the AICPA National Conference on Federal Taxes in 2020, as I recall, the virtual one that year, uh, IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddick appeared on the program, but specifically in response to a question from the AICPA, rejected the idea of any sort of broad-based blanket penalty relief on the theory that it would only help cheaters. Now, he obviously rejected the exact sort of relief we're seeing here in 2022 36 uh, but my guess is there's still a strong bias at the top of the agency against offering broad-based relief. And based on that, I would have to say that I'm not going to suspect that we're going to see a lot of movement here. It would be nice if we would, 
but don't bet on it necessarily. Like it or not, uh, what Chuck Reddick said back in 2020 was that, well, you just got to go through and ask for a reasonable cause relief. Now, the AICPA likes to twist the knife a little bit here. And in one particular section, when they're asking for relief, they point out very clearly when they want to expand the number of years that the IRS is unable to respond to, to reasonable cause relief requests. Meaning if you've written the IRS about this anytime recently, yeah, you, you probably noticed that the IRS has taken a long time to respond to anything. So it, it's, it's a little bit interesting, but we'll, you know, see how all of that goes. Okay, let's talk about specifically what, the, what they're looking at doing here. Now, the first part of the letter, the AICPA puts an outline in of a bunch of things they want added in their relief. And the first section they're going to have is going to be a section to ask them to expand the scope of relief to include similarly situated taxpayers in another stage of the process. What the AICPA noted was that notice 2022-36 primarily was going after automatically assessed penalties that the IRS computer had just kicked out, which made them very easy for the service to recognize and reverse. Well, they're saying that's great, but there are other situations that these penalties could arise in and that we, we need some we need some uh, help beyond merely that. You know, that, that's not quite enough. So first thing they ask for is they want to clarify that this relief applies to these penalties that were listed in the original notice, even if that penalty is not one that is automatically assessed. It could have been assessed in examination. It could have been assessed in appeals, including collection appeals. Could be in collection itself, could have asserted the penalty. And that IRS exam revenue agents should also consider the principles set forth the notice when considering penalties. You know, we, we want, you know, the AICPA is suggesting even if you cannot automate finding the returns, they should still qualify for this penalty. Now, we all understand we'd probably have to put, the, you know, point that out to the service, but it should be if it's a penalty that was listed here, we really need to, you know, be allowed to claim that issue. Now, the AICPA, AICPA suggests the IRS should go beyond notice 2022-36 and issue an additional COVID and backlog penalty relief package. Um, what they really want is blanket reasonable cause relief for all penalties imposed during 2019 and 2020 tax years. This gets back to the theory that the IRS is not responding to any requests in that area. And because of that, you know, the AICPA position is that we really need to have some other levels of relief that are put into play here. They also suggest if a penalty comes up one of these and it arises due to an amended return filed by the taxpayer, that that should be explicitly granted relief. They said, you know, clarify the fact that if the taxpayer filed amended returns, such as an amended 1120 or an amended 1065, for purposes of, you know, including a delinquent form 5471 or 5472, you know, and utilizing the delinquent international information return submission procedures by the relief deadline, they should qualify for the same level of relief. You know, they found the problem, they corrected it. They're saying, look, due to COVID, things like this gets, you know, you know, it was easy to miss and, you know, people shouldn't be penalized for that because they're just now 
uh, figuring out how all of that worked. And also, they asked to please clarify what's a late file 1120 for purposes of this notice. For example, the Form 5472 instructions require the filing of Pro Form 1120 and attaching the 5472 for a foreign person who owns 100% of a U.S. limited liability company, which is characterized as not separate from the owners for income tax purposes, is that deemed, you know, is that, you know, Pro Forma 1120, if that was not filed timely, does that count as a late file 1120 for these purposes? Also, the AICPA wants to see the overall scope of the relief expanded. That's going to be, you know, to cover more penalty cases for international forms. That was one of the big areas that they're getting here. But they also just generally want to see the scope of relief expanded. Specifically, they want to see other penalties come into play, right? They want to see a number of penalties here uh, expanded, including penalties under 6038, 6038 cap A, 6038 cap C, 6039 cap F, 6677, and more specifically, um, the late payment penalty under 6651A2. As you may remember, the late filing penalty qualified for automatic relief under this ruling, but not the late payment penalty. And so the AICPA is suggesting, because obviously that, that fouls up a few things here, right? We have that. And failure to pay is really you know, one of those, like if you're going to do failure to file, you really should do the related failure to pay. They kind of, you know, they end up going together for all practical purposes. You failed to file, you know, there was unpaid tax at the return due date. So because of that, almost certainly you got failure to pay unless like a day later you sent the cash in because failure to file is tied to what was due on the date the return should have been filed. Well, and you don't stop that penalty until you file the return. Failure to pay only runs until the tax is paid. But it's going to be an unusual situation where you got ahead and got the payment in, but you didn't get the failure to file, you know, but you didn't fix the failure to file. Now, this one is one that I've heard a lot of people ask about. The IRS only covered late, direct late filing penalties assessed on the return. They did not cover penalties that were based on daily delinquency or other issues. For instance, what a lot of people noticed was we had a listing on there that a 990 PF would qualify for the relief program, but nowhere did it mention Form 990. Well, Form 990's penalty is a per day late penalty, not a percentage of tax due penalty. And the IRS did not mention any of those per day late penalties were not included in the list of things that, you know, you had to or that you would get relief on. So the, the AICPA letter, they have a long list of forms that they'd like to see covered. Uh, it is in the PDF you can download from the Current Federal Tax Development's website on the audio and video uh, page. You can download that. And in the article, we have this entire list they have. But they're asking for things like estate tax returns, gift tax returns, uh, quarterly excise tax returns, Form 926, Return of U.S. Transfer of Property to Foreign Corporation, the various payroll tax returns that may have been due, the 990s and related not-for-profit organization returns, uh, 1041A, 1042, uh, 4720, 5227, 5471, and 5472, when they're attached to a 1040, 1041, 1120S, 
Form 990, Form 990T, et cetera, things other than just the 1120 and the 1065 that were mentioned in the original release. Uh, form 8288, 8804, 8858, 8938, the uh, FBAR filings in that case, and any non campus assessment program penalties for Form 3520 and 3520 Cap A. So again, we'd like to see that grossly extended. I know there's been a lot of discussion on the 990 side, just not so far any clarity that the service plans to do anything of that sort. So we'll have to kind of take a look at that, but seems like that one, you know, like I said, I don't know how the 990s are going to turn out. Also, the AICPA is asking that this relief cover more years. Uh, in fact, what they're asking here is they, they would like to see uh, relief expanded to tax years 2016 through 2018 uh, for certain things and also returns that were for 2021 tax year. Now, I don't know how the IRS is going to react. My guess is 2021 may have an outside shot. Uh, the ASCP is pointing out that this year we got hit with Omicron. Uh, there definitely will be people who are, have had issues. You know, it's been a little weird. Obviously, it was weirder at the beginning of the year. It's become a little less weird late in the year, later in the year, but still we have these issues in play. My guess is the IRS may hold tight and say, well, 2021 wasn't really the same, or 2022 was not really the same as 21. And while people may have been impacted in that case, that should be reasonable cause impact rather than having to get a special broad-based category. That said, if they were going to broad base relief on 21, I understand why they might not want to announce it until after the 21 returns. Final due date was already here. They don't want anybody kind of stopping right now and saying, hey, you know what? We don't need to get the we don't need to meet the October 15th deadline because guess what? We're going to get late filing relief anyway. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I can understand why that one probably if it comes, would not come until after we get past October 15th. In essence, the IRS wouldn't really want to expand that one up. Also, they're asking him to please clarify in this notice that in the notice itself that this relief does not basically kill the right to use first-time abatement for the following three years. If you make use of this, you're going to lose your FTA for those years. And they have some other clarifications on the impact on FTA. My guess is that, you know, again, the IRS, you know, the, the taxpayer advocate, National Taxpayer Advocate on her, on her blog had said clearly that, yeah, it doesn't affect FTA. It's also in the Internal Revenue Manual. The, the AICPA would like that clarified in there, too. There are a couple of issues with fiscal years that like that fixed. But, you know, that it doesn't apply. But... The ISCPA says, yeah, but you really should make that statement in the notice. So in essence, it's more binding on the service. Currently right now, we, we have from the National Taxpayer Advocate, who is not really in a position to set, you know, binding policy for the IRS or binding guidance, issue binding guidance. And we have an internal revenue manual, which quite often the courts have said, you know, does not provide, uh, you know, is not something that a taxpayer can move against the IRS on with what's in the IRM. The IRM is a procedural manual only. So because of that, the AICPA wants it in the notice 
which, by the way, once it's in there, published on Revenue Bulletin, well, that is considered binding on the service. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if they do anything of that sort. They also, the ICPA does also suggest strongly that, you know, you might want to talk about that the IRS should notify taxpayers and their representatives uh, when they meet the uh, criteria for relief. In that case, the problem is, I think in this case, is if you're not told, the IRS just automatically, they haven't really sent you out penalty notices yet, or even worse, they've sent something, but then just stop it and don't notify you. They're, I think in that case, they are supposed to have already said to notify you. But if the IRS has already sent out penalty notices, you know, or basically, you now pick up a new client and you notice that, hey, wait, there is an exposure here for a penalty in 2020 and 2021, 2020, I should say, in 2019 and 2020 returns, uh, and you start, you know, trying to come clean and, you know, get the waiver and do all that background work, only to discover that the IRS had already waived the penalty. So they're asking that the agency actually contact taxpayers and if they've got a power of attorney on file, the representative, to make it clear that the taxpayer qualifies for relief, these penalties are now off the table. So just, you know, be aware of that issue. Finally, the AICPA letter does ask for some additional relief on some specific areas. First, it asks for clarification on Form 3520 and 3520-A. Uh, the AICPA would just like to have added to that, you know, the requirements, because the penalties are related to this, that these are the filings required by Section 6048. They think that technically that needs to be there for this relief to uh, work out or be correct the way it is, you know, to work out in that place. They also are asking for a bit of guidance on Form 990F. Uh, you know, the penalty relief under Section 6651 was waived for a late filed 990F. And they say normally that's under 6651A, but they say often, most often the, they'll also be penalized under 6652C. And that provision was not mentioned in Notice 2022-36. So either they said the IRS should clarify that all, you know, both penalties are what's being waived, or less preferable, but at least you're going to do it, let us know, make it clear that that 6652C penalty does not, does not get waived by this, and they're going to have to make your own independent showing of reasonable cause. So make it that way. Also, finally, the AICPA asked for clarification for fiscal year filers. And this one, I think there may not win on this one, but, but we'll see. The IRS would like to ask for relief um, for fiscal year filers because they said, and I guess here's the catch. The way the original notice came out, it said tax years 19 and 20. Now, let's assume your taxpayer had a, was a corporation, C-corporation, with a year end of November 30th, the latest possible. Well, that C corporation would have just last week have hit its extended due date for its return, which was technically a 2020 return because the year began December 1st, 2020 and, you know, ended November 30th, 2021. That was a 2020 tax year. Well, in later discussions on fiscal year, they did clarify the years ending in 2020 counted. So if you had somebody 
you know, with a year that ended in 2020, 1130, 20, or let's say, yeah, in that year, even though it might have been an 18 return, you know, rather than a 19 return, you would still get the relief. So your 1130, you know, your 1130, or let's say 1130, 2019 return due in 2020, well, that, that, that would qualify for this relief. Now, if the ASCPA wants to have said is, yeah, if your year began in 20, because that was kind of what your notice said initially, it's a 20 year. If your year began in 20, therefore your year didn't end until sometime in 21, you should still qualify for relief. Uh, we'll see if that's what the IRS meant or not, or if they're going to say, sorry, December 31st, 2021 is the last year that you can qualify for relief under these rules. So just clarification, see what's going on, and we're going to you know, take care of that side. And finally, we also want some clarification. A couple of other little things that the IRS is asking for here. They do want some clarification, or should say AICPA. They want to clearly state that returns filed prior to the issuance of the notice qualify for relief. Uh, they, they feel that that's not totally clear in the notice, but they want to make it clear. And also, they want to clarify the information returns, you know, list all the proper forms, you know, in that area so that it's clear. Because you, what they did, they said, essentially, you know, that, that forms, you know, it, the way they did it, they listed some 1099 forms, but they didn't list all the information return forms that would be subject to the penalty that we talked about here. So they want to make it clear that all of those would qualify. So they'd like to have those forms listed out as well. Any event, as I said, the chances are, I suspect, that we're not going to see this relief before September 30. So don't, don't expect us to see some before September 30. It's going to let you breathe and say, yeah, that, that late filed 1040 from, you know, one of those years, a taxpayer who didn't get their stuff together due to all these problems they were having with COVID. So they didn't get their 2020 return filed timely. You know, and we're trying to get relief on that. And so they're finally getting their stuff together. And now we're putting it together. That, that return you're still working on getting filed with the IRS by the end of September, rather than being able to push it beyond tax season. I wouldn't expect we're going to see much more than, we're going to see any more of that sort of relief at this point. Probably you better start working on right now, assume it needs to be a September 30, if in fact that relief is needed. Well, this has been the Current Federal Tax Developments for the week of September 19th, 2022. Current Federal Tax Developments brought to you by your State Society of CPAs and Capital Financial Education. Uh, you can contact me with questions, Ed Zollers at CurrentFelltaxDevelopments.com. I also follow the uh, Connect groups for the State Societies of Arizona, Minnesota, Illinois, New Jersey, Washington, and also check in every so often on discussions on Idaho Society's group. So you can check in there. If you have a question or those issues, you can work with those groups, uh, which is also quite often a very good place to get additional information from other members of the society, because that really helps about things like when we're talking about issues that are, let's say, state income tax related, so very specialized. But also the federal, it's a useful place for people to discuss, especially the more active of those groups are very useful for that. Um, you know, check in, see what's there. Otherwise, if, if I see a posting there and I think I might be able to help, I'll see about, you know, responding. And although obviously for the next few weeks, like the rest of you, I'm a bit busy working on the final returns for the year. So my response time will probably not be as great as it could be during that time frame.
And then, of course, once we get past uh, October 15th, I'll start doing a lot more continuing education work. Uh, this year, actually traveling a bit more, though mainly to conferences. Uh, only have a couple of in-person sessions that are not conferences. This year, we're still seeing a lot of things being booked remotely. So be aware of that. We're looking at that background. Obviously, the ones I do in Arizona, because the society offices are about... Mm, 15 minutes from where I'm at right now. Uh, generally, th those are done at their location. But it's just become, I think, more of a travel issue now of not having to deal with this. Because, by the way, travel right now is, shall we say, challenging and not the most reliable thing to do in the world. So we'll see if that improves at all when I actually start getting on the road. Where if I spend up having tried to do broadcasts from a hotel in a random city that I got stuck in, uh, because they, they flew me there, and then it turns out that, yeah, the plane going to Phoenix is either gone or canceled, and yeah, we'll see what the mess goes. This could be a very interesting time period. Not really looking forward to the travel this year as we end up doing a bit more. But in any event, check back in next week, and we'll talk about whatever is coming up in the area of current federal tax developments.